Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, fresh off the English Channel, it's Arturo Zurita. What's up, guys? Uh, yes, I had my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. Uh, was not a Dunkirk. He was probably just chilling, like, in Mexico somewhere, but... Uh, he also might have been, like... Two or three hundred years older than anybody at Dunkirk, considering how many greats you just said. Great, great, great. Well, no, we're Mexicans, you know, so it's like the gen- it's not right. that wide of a gap between generations. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, just excited to talk some Dunkirk with you, some inter some, uh, Interstellar, uh, Christopher Nolan in general. Yeah, just, he just got me confused because usually all of his movies they have that that I yeah Interstellar, Inception, Insomnia, and now he's like, you know what? No, I'm just gonna go completely different. Yeah, there's an I in there. He but... does like those one word titles, though, except for when it comes to the Batman series, obviously. Yeah, well that that's different, but for like his own stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll do a lot more talking about Christopher Nolan in this week's show, including his comments about Netflix and revealing a little bit of our own personal favorite Chris Nolan stuff. Yes, sir. But we start the way we start every week with what we're watching. This week it's the same movie, and it's a movie that is on most people's minds, the new yeah. Chris Nolan movie, Dunkirk. Uh, we're going to get into a very, very spoiler-heavy discussion, sort of assuming that you've already had a chance to you know what it is. see the you movie. It is. It's not like there's any huge twists. You know, this is based on uh, the evacuation uh, uh, from France back to England of uh, hundreds of thousands of English mm-hmm. soldiers. Uh, this is the 10th movie now that we've gotten from Christopher Nolan, and probably the one that is feels the most like tied to reality. I mean, I guess you could say that Insomnia and Memento are very uh, more realistic films of his, but they have pretty pretty high-minded concepts. This one, he's, he's really digging into history, giving us a pretty fairly traditional war biopic. But, but we get the it. we get the grand scale uh, we get the grand scope of many of these Christopher Nolan movies, as well as a pretty interesting twist on the way that time works in this movie. Art, I know you had a video just recently explaining this. Do uh, you want to get into into a little bit of how the time works in Dunkirk? Yeah, so pretty much, you know, Christopher Nolan can be covering the the day of a first grader, and he just can't help it, and pretty much you're going to see the movie again, and it turns out that first grader is not just the student, but he was also the teacher, and he was also the parent who's picking up, intertwine it. Yeah, it's your war movie. You got your C story, which I believe is called The Mole, Uh, because I I didn't know this. I thought it had to do with The Mole, because the the, the little, like, I guess, half-twist, one of the French guys. Yeah, a a uh, person that was... Maybe thought of as a spy. Or yeah, he, but he, it's an English means, guy dressed up as an Englishman who turns out to be French, yeah. not German. Um, mole means land, supposedly, in in the UK. Uh, so yeah, you pretty much you have your sea story. You you have your land story, your sea story, your air story. Each one has different color tones that they're playing with, but mainly it's the the story on land is a week long. The story at sea is a day long. The story on air is an hour long, and you're like, okay, why? Like, what what's the purpose of it other than to be like, all right, I'm just gonna mess around halfway through. I think it's halfway through when you first realize it. Mm-hmm. Anybody who says beforehand, it's because someone told you. Because there's again. We're dealing with the, why did he do it to begin with? So there's yeah. no way you go in there going, hmm, he's dealing with time. It's until you start seeing uh, that vantage point thing, where you start seeing the same event from another perspective. Right, right. And it, did you like it? So, okay, so I will say that I thought it was a really interesting way to uh, tackle this. I think that there's going to be some people who look at it and, and say it's a little bit it's, a, it's calling a little bit too much attention to itself. I think you could have done the same exact thing without specifying at the beginning of the movie the way it does with those title cards. One I missed. Week, I, I one walked day. in five minutes in. He was already running. He was already Forrest Gump in it. So yeah. I'd missed that. So, so I'm curious if you felt it was heavy-handed the way it was done because I thought it was a pretty artful approach uh, mm-hmm. to, to tie them all in. And considering, like, so we're, we're talking about there is the story of these soldiers that are trying to be rescued and they're trapped on land. That's something that takes a long time to play out. It makes sense that you would need yes. a week with them. The, the same thing goes for the sea adventure. It, it makes we'll sense that you would day. need a full day. And, and it, 
when they get to on air, yeah, it would make sense not to drag him out because he's on a timely thing. You know, I think that it was a very clever way of construct uh, of constructing the movie to solve a problem that exists in a lot of I think action and, and just movies in general where you have sort of like an ensemble cast doing things at different areas and, and there's so much coincidence involved in lining them up. And by s- constructing the timeline this way, he's sort of showing you, no, it, it's, there's a reason that they're yeah. overlapping like this. And like you said, there is payoff to it. So uh, while I think it was definitely, uh, it, it's, a, it's a grandiose construction or something, I think it was well executed. Yeah, I mean, obviously he had it since the page. Like, if you watch it again, you see that the way that he cuts from one action to another, even though they're completely different time uh, sets, they're in the same timeline, they're just in different, like, moments in time. Uh, He he does it for a reason. It's cut for that specifically. There are points that I didn't like the editing in it. Personally, just like personally, I think the whole time thing is the one thing that edges out the movie from just being a war movie. Uh, however, yeah. he has said it himself. He's like, it's not a war movie. You brought it up. They, they ain't fighting. They're waiting to be picked up. Yeah. Like, that's what it is. I, I think you and I were the ones who had probably said it earlier when we were talking about some of the trailers and stuff. The mine, mine, mine scene, to me, when they all turn around, they look like the seagulls from mm-hmm. Finding Nemo. They're just waiting there. Uh, and I appreciate why, like, understanding why he did it. The way the, what he had explained is it's sort of like when you're you're saying a tale, right? You're speaking to a veteran, and, and the veteran's going to tell you all these different perspectives. Or even if you're just telling a story, right? You could say something is like, "Oh yes, we were at home cooking the chicken that was going to take an hour. Meanwhile, it's taking a day for you know a fa- the family who's going to arrive to get there, and then it's literally just taking five minutes for the person downstairs in the basement who needs to come up." But when you're telling the story, you're not you're not specifying, right? You're 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 putting it all into one. You're saying, "I was doing this." While these other people got into, like, the car accident on their way. You know, you're combining it all and it meshes into one. I was like, all right, I feel that. Mm-hmm. It's a little different when you, you know, it's like, I get what, I get what you're going for. Because when you tell a story, you do say it like that. You're not going like, all right, I'm going to tell this story first. And then this story. You combine them all into one yeah. mesh time together. It's a little different when you do it in a movie, right? Because in a movie, it seems kind of like a gimmick and you're wondering what the point of it is and, and i think and that's something that nolan gets accused of a, a, a lot, lot is is gimmickry uh rather than necessarily uh finding natural way i personally find that he is able to do these high concept ideas in the most natural way possible i mean there's definitely i, I do think that yeah i don't want to call it a gimmick because it's mm-hmm. natural to him there's like, much I, more gimmicky movies out there and definitely. he's he's Definitely a, a top-class filmmaker, just in the way that these scenes are executed. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the action in this movie. Because for me, I felt that the action kind of separated itself uh, in some ways from other films. There's a lot of people talking about uh, how immersive it is and that it really does give you a sense of like the, the horror of being in the middle of combat in a way that uh, not many films since Saving Private Ryan had. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts were on the action. Um, I'll go back to that last line that you said, the immerse us into the thing since the last look. People need to relax. People, I don't know if you've seen the interviews where people are like, Nolan, you really immersed me with that IMAX. You've just revolutionized. Do you think more movies will be using IMAX? And do you think you will be using more IMAX now that you've revolutionized it? And he goes, my last four movies were shot on IMAX. People need to relax with this whole like, Oh my goodness, I felt like I was there. I've never felt that before. Then watch more war movies. Like, I'm sorry, but there have been a lot of war movies that have done that. Am I wrong? I yeah. feel that there have been a lot. Yeah, okay, so I don't... The the IMAX and stuff like that didn't necessarily feel more immersive than other movies yeah. to me. Where I felt the immersion was in the pacing of the movie. And oh, I, yeah, sure, 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 yeah. I'm talking about, like, when, when people talk... Yeah, yeah when, when I think there's a lot of people giving a lot of credit to just the fact that it's 70mm and IMAX and he's putting it at all, all these different formats. I think it's cool that he cares about all these film formats yeah. in a time where a lot of people only really care about digital stuff, but that's not, that's not getting what? me... We'll get to that part. That's a whole other thing. But yeah, I'm just talking about from the fan perspective because, and I know this is something we're talking about later as well, but it's the whole perspective of you can't go see a Nolan movie and just appreciate it from his work because you're not allowed to state your opinion and and it ends up becoming a thing where you're not just reviewing the Nolan movie, you're you're arguing with Nolan fans in the midst of it as well. And again, it's one of those things where I just want to bring up that when you're talking about a movie like this and someone goes, oh, you didn't like it, you don't know how revolution, relax. 
Yeah. You're already faulting yourself because you're acting like this is his first IMAX experience. He's done it before. Let's look back at your blog on WordPress and see how you were like, it's the most immersive IMAX experience ever with Interstellar because he shot that in IMAX. And now you're over here pretending because you overhype yourself every single time. You want to, it's like you're insulting him while trying to praise him at the same time. I, I want to send you this clip specifically of this moron who, who asked him that. It's like you're telling him, wow, this is the first time I've ever seen you do IMAX. And he's just like, are you not, a, like, I did this last time. <laughs> yeah. And with The Dark Knight and with Inception. So it's like this overpraise where you men and black yourself and forget all of his other filmography just to overpraise this one film. Just wanted to get that out there. No, totally, totally. Like it. It, it, there's a lot of people that are jumping to call this like a masterpiece and stuff that I think is maybe overselling it. I do think this is like uh, masterful filmmaking, but that doesn't necessarily qualify it as a masterpiece. If you it's know? a masterpiece to you, hey, no one, we're not saying that it can't be. Go ahead. Enjoy it. Instead of complaining with other people who don't think it's a masterpiece. That's what I. That's how you know when it's not a... There are movies that you and I like and we think are masterpieces because, yes, masterpieces are for your... They're for you, okay? That's what movies mm -hmm. are. They're for you. We're cool with it. We enjoy it. When you think something is a masterpiece and you spend half the time complaining with other people, then I know you don't think it's a masterpiece. That's just you not being self-assured of yourself. When someone calls something a masterpiece and you can have a conversation with somebody like, I think it's a masterpiece, you don't like it, then I'm like, you know what? I respect your opinion. You right. truly think that this is a masterpiece. <laughs> just saying. Totally. Okay, uh, uh, just to circle back to my point about the action. Uh, I thought the way that the pacing of the movie worked in, in how deliberate each moment was, in how it really draws out how much time it takes to run down the beach, how much time it takes to swim out of the way of a sinking ship, yeah. how much time it takes just to, to circle a plane around it and get it in your, your scope. That was the stuff that I really appreciated that helped me uh, it f feel like the f uh, feel like I got a c an idea for what it's like to go through the experience in a way mm -hmm. that a lot of other war films haven't. The, the shooting, uh, the, the the way it was filmed and stuff itself, not as much, but I really appreciated how deliberate the action was and it, it, how it's almost like a complete contrast to something like Mad Max Fury Road, which is so chaotic and and just fast paced. And I love that too, but this is something that. It was really, you know, each interaction took its toll, and I, I appreciated that aspect of it. I feel what you're saying. Like in Mad Max Fury Road, you're just like, whoa, 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 as opposed to this when you're seeing him run down, you're kind of stomping your feet a little bit. Mm -hmm. Again, not to get to the cheesiness, like it's, I'm so in the movie, but it, it does put you more into their shoes. Like you're not into the shoes of Nux in Mad Max Fury Road. You're just like, yo, this is insane. Yeah, Here it's one of those things where you're just like, this is in real time, because mm -hmm. again, the movie's all the time, and you're sort of like, are they going to make it? Are they going to make it? Are they going to make it? Because I don't know these people. Mm -hmm. I don't know their names. I don't know their backstories. And I know that's a complaint a lot of people have. And I can see that as well. And that's why I think it yeah. differentiates from movies like Saving Private Ryan, where they give you that 20-minute, here's my backstory scene. Um, but it's because of that that you also go, this dude can go at any moment, mm -hmm. because it does not they seem expendable. Yeah, the um, anvil is just like constantly hanging over each of yeah. these characters in a so way here's that's my very question. suspenseful. As you mentioned the action, yeah. um, and you brought up Mad Max Fury Road, and Mad Max Fury Road, a lot of the action is because of that amazing soundtrack, right. which should have been nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> um, do you think a lot of it plays because of your boy's... Okay, so... I, are uh, uh, are you asking me? Are you asking me? Does it only work because of that, or or does it work in concert with it? Because I think it works in concert with. It. Okay, I felt like if you take off that ticking noise, mm -hmm. that one that reminded you, chicka chicka, it's time. It's all about chicka chicka time. It's all about chicka chicka time. I I love Hans Zimmer. I never want to speak yeah. of Hans Zimmer. Right. Mm -hmm. That being said, maybe it was the speakers in my theater. Maybe it was the way it was mixed. But to me, it felt like a reminder of, hey, it's time, it's time. And don't get me wrong. I like it. I love all of Hans Zimmer's yeah, music. Yeah, I mean, it works that's an well. intentional effect. Like, we shouldn't act like Definitely. it's unintentional. But if it takes yeah. you out of the movie, then it's, it's not It's not so good. much that it 
I mean, yeah, took me out of the movie because I feel like it's just reminding you consistently, hey, these people, like you said, these people were doing it in real time. So, you know, in a real movie, it would be cut a lot shorter and quicker. But because we're doing it in real time, we got to fill in that minute. So let me remind you consistently with this ticking clock in the background that we're rushing. And I don't know. That was just something for myself personally. Never want to speak ill of Hans Zimmer because (laughs) it is a fantastic soundtrack. I just felt because you do know, I don't know if you heard, the ticking is actually a recording of Christopher Nolan's pocket watch. Oh, really? Yeah, so it actually is. Like, it's not even an instrument. It's his pocket watch that he recorded and just played it in there. Um, I don't know. I personally just felt you take that away from it. The the ticking specifically, not the score. The ticking effect from Mm. the score. And... Yeah, I mean, I I think... Well, you you mentioned the ticking effect, and I think there are some, some interesting things that Hans Zimmer does to sort of echo the ticking effect with the violins just going like da 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 or whatever it is like that whole sequence with the stretcher towards the beginning of the movie I thought was incredible and worked largely because of Hans Zimmer's score there like I said I think that it kind of works in concert with it you know like score is an essential part of movies and while uh, I do think it can be overwhelming in some movies I thought it was you know pretty much pretty much connected with what I saw on screen for me um, okay. So maybe that's one of the aspects that didn't work as well for you. I'm curious uh, what other aspects may not have worked as well for you. For me, I know that um, while I liked a lot of the plot lines, uh, there's a couple that along the way that are harder to stick with than others, or at least like buy into. Particularly okay. the George one on the boat. How dare you, sir? Don't you speak ill of Joel Edgerton Jr. ever? Which movie is he Joel Edgerton Jr. in? We're talking George the Kid who gets hit in the head, right? That man looked like Joel Edgerton Jr. Did you not see that? He he. He looks like the most. He looked like the most British boy I have ever seen in my life. He looks like he should be in in a young Beatles biopic or something. He looks like if Mad Magazine was founded in the UK. Yeah, that's what he looks like. Yeah, very nice sweater vests though. Oh, he was he was. Fa- uh, high fashion for war. I was rocking with their style. Him and his buddy. I was rocking mm-hmm. with their style. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, so there's that confrontation on the boat between him and Cillian Murphy with Mark yeah. Rylance there, and he sort of falls down the stairs. I mean, like that just felt heavy-handed and melodramatic to me. Um, a, a heart, a heavy-handed way of kind of like teaching them the impacts of war, which yeah. did not need to be there. Uh-huh. Uh huh. To me, what didn't work was the whole. Is he okay? Yeah, he's fine. Boy, you just heard the soldier say, he's dead, boy. Why are you lying <laughs> there was to the a, man? Yeah, the timing of that was a little... I get why it was the whole idea, because again, it, it plays with the reality. You know, at the, by the end of it, Harry Styles feels like, oh, we're losers. But everyone's celebrating him, you know? Uh, What's-his-name feels like a hero. He's about to get caught. Killian Murphy, it's playing with his reality. You know, he survived, but he they lie to him so he doesn't feel guilty that he murdered someone. Innocent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting elements there to, to like, kind of chew over. So, it, you know, I've heard some people saying that there's not a lot here in terms of about, like, what is this movie about? And I think Time. some of the things that it's about, it, it's what you're saying. It's perception versus reality and the, the, exper- the, exper- the way we experience things and the way that they're talked about. Uh, but I also think that there's a, a very, like, fervent statement made on the bravery of helping others versus the bravery of attacking others. And I I think it's done through a couple different things. First of all, you basically don't see any enemy soldiers on screen for the duration of the movie. You see some planes, uh, you see things being shot at them. At the end, you see a couple in the distance around Tom Hardy, but it is largely a faceless, nameless enemy. They don't constantly talk about the Nazis. They talk about Germans. There's no Nazi memorabilia even in the movie even when they showed uh, the we are surrounding you propaganda in the beginning and the killing is very largely done in the background or off screen or uh they show you the consequences of the bullet but not the bullet going in which for me like this is the most pretentious point i'm gonna make so i I apologize in advance (laughs) let's go (laughs) for me just as somebody who like generally feels nonviolent and watches action and war movies and just can't get that visceral thrill out of seeing a really good kill. I appreciated its its insistence on 
making the bravery around helping others and just setting all of the bravery around how these men are willing to put themselves in line, you know, in front of bullets for one another uh, in these moments. That, to me, uh, I thought was a subtler statement that Nolan is making mm -hmm. that not a lot of people are talking about. Yeah, no, uh, you know how like, a lot of people argued because they're very disappointed it was going to be PG-13. Some people were recalling Hacksaw from last year, and they wanted that type of, like, the, the violence that's, like, very, like, realistic. And I'm I, I'm all about execution. You and I always talk about this. We're yes. all about execution over everything. A PG-13 movie can be better than a rated R movie. Uh, I, I, I am one that feels like when you're doing a war movie, the realities of war are really what hones it in. Mm-hmm. And some people complain, oh, yo, Nolan, you're just doing PG-13 because your fans are 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds who need to watch a movie, and with rated R, they won't get in. I, I, I've heard him talk about it, and he specifically said what you said. Um, he didn't want it to be a grotesque film. Yeah. He didn't want to focus on the, the gore and the blood. He says, you, you've understand, you've seen that. And I like that because he's telling you, he's like, you, what you want isn't my movie. You want someone else's movie. Go watch yeah. that. And, and don't bring like, that here. You brought up Hacksaw Ridge. That's a movie that's about a, a medic. And it's supposedly about nonviolence. But you watch it. Hey, yeah, perfect. And they yeah. still, they take glee in showing you the faces of the evil enemy getting blown up. You know, there's, yeah. there's still that, like, violent nature in it. Not, not there is, in Dunkirk. This is a I, movie about the virtue of helping, uh, yeah. helping your fellow man. Um... I don't want to. Oh, I forget. Do you know his wife's name? Uh, Emma, Emma Thomas. Emma Thomas. There you yeah, go. I always say like yeah, Emma Thompson, sure. but I'm pretty sure that's that's the chick from uh, <laughs> from uh, Creed. Uh, yeah. No. Like I I love hearing her side of the interviews as well. Um, yeah, she's been she's his a, producer, producer, basically uh, co-producer throughout his career. Yeah, which is really dope. But uh, mm -hmm. I loved one of the things that she had brought up because obviously to him, he he keeps saying it. I made the story because I grew up on it. Like this is this is a very British story that he, he grew he grew up wanting to make. That and it's like holy ground for him. Um, I love her perspective of it, which is exactly what you were saying. She's like, it's not a war film where they're fighting back. It's it's a bravery that's going on with these soldiers who are waiting to be rescued. Rescued by who? Right. Us, the little people. The, the, they call them the boats, the little boats. Yeah, they yeah. said little boat at one point. I thought Yachty was going to appear. But it, <laughs> I boat. wish they... Uh, they <laughs> you just see them all... Little boat, little boat. Little boat. I wish they focused more on the other boats. I know that's, again, a gripe, because then maybe I'd be on the other side and going, I wish they just focused on one. Yeah. Um, I really like that aspect of it. And again, when they played with time, you realize when they finally mention who's going to save us, all the big boats are gone. They're like, no, the Calvary is coming. All the little boats are going to be here. And I'm like, that would be the time when uh, your boy, the BFG, uh, Mr. <laughs> Iraq, our boy Rocky from our Oscar, that's Bridge would be when he starts Oscar coming. Um, and he is a fantastic actor, even yeah. if I think he's conceded in interviews. But... <laughs> I like that aspect. I thought that was cool because because you don't usually see that yeah. that the there's soldiers probably, are getting saved. There's probably a whole other movie just to be made about all those little boats that uh, went across the channel to help out. But yeah, uh, we do get it's a much more reduced story in just mm -hmm. seeing Mark Rylance and his son sort of uh, dealing with the consequences of that. Absolutely. So overall, um, I like Dunkirk a lot and a lot more than I expected to because I was a little sour coming off of Interstellar not that I disliked Interstellar but it's not what I wanted from Nolan How I think I think this is some of the best type of stuff Nolan can do he when he deals okay. with these kinds of high stakes and applies a high concept to it uh, he, he's I think it, it's very much in his lane even though it's not necessarily my favorite of his uh, just in terms of him being like a professional movie maker like this is like a really really solid Nolan movie to me and I, I highly recommend it to like anybody yes. this is one that I think is a must see from the summer and I hope it sticks around to maybe get a slot in the Oscar race I hope so too you know I, I've been rooting for Nolan because they do my boy dirty in the Oscars yeah they do um, but no I agree with you all the fanboyisms aside this Nolan even if you can't hate this man you like you'd be ignorant to say he's not a good filmmaker. Like you, yeah. you on you don't have to like him, but you would be ignorant to say he doesn't know how to craft something. This no, man, yes. Go ahead. No, sorry. No one out there is as committed to making original large-scale blockbuster films right now. Yeah. So let me bring it back with that whole thing that we were talking about earlier. The little glimpse of this man had cardboard cutouts 
because he didn't want to use CGI. My man doesn't believe you can CGI plane, so he put the IMAX cameras on a $5 million aircraft that he then burns at the end of the movie. Like, this man is spending real money on stuff, stuff that goes into his budget, stuff that ends up... I, you can I, see I feel, it all on the screen. Christopher Nolan's like that teacher who uses who uses their salary to pay for the kids' yes. stuff. She, he's Hillary Swank from Freedom Writers. That's who he is. And because of that, I can say, even if the movie is not a masterpiece for myself, I appreciate the commitment that he puts into every single one of his movies, including the huge blockbusters that are studio films. It is very rare. I, I would say Matt Reeves is getting up there. To have somebody who's making these personal films, and I, and I truly want to make this comparison right now. Matt Reeves has done his two big Warner Bros. Hey, funny enough, uh, franchise movies to finish up a trilogy. He's got his trilogy. Ironically, he's moving on to Batman. Nolan left Batman to make this slew of movies that are all big blockbusters, but they're indie films. Because he's writing them. His yeah. wife's the producer. You, you know, you get what I mean? And the indie that, mentality in the blockbuster The indie mentality in a, in a blockbuster budget. Uh, and that's very rare to have that. So it's like he's in a position where he's going to get hate just yeah. because of that. It's at, it's at, at any point. Um, yeah, ten films in. I think he's yet to make a bad film. He's made a couple that have disappointed me, and I have valid reasons for those. But I can never say that they're bad films. Even mm -hmm. in his most, even in the lowest one, even in, in the slots 10 or 9, uh, which I wouldn't put this. I'd put this right in the middle. I think it's his second best historical adaptation. The first being uh, the biography trilogy that is Bruce Wayne's. Uh, but I definitely think it's worth checking. It's one of those movies you have to check it out in theaters. If you're going to check it out, whether you like it or hate it, you have to give it the, the I don't say benefit of the doubt, but you have to give it its rightful viewing, and that is in theaters. Uh, IMAX, 70 millimeter if you can. I'm mad. Our Navy Pier is down in Chicago, mm. so we don't have that. But I've yet to see it in IMAX, so even though I haven't been blown away by it, and I don't really feel the desire to see it again, I have to see it in IMAX before it leaves. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel like it's, for guys like us at least, that's a must-do. Uh, yeah. So if you've seen Dunkirk, which chances are if you're watching this you have, let us know your thoughts down below in the comments or tweet them at us. Uh, we're on Twitter. We'll uh, definitely get back to you with our thoughts. But we move on to yay or nay, where we give our approval or disapproval of the latest in the entertainment industry. And sticking with Christopher Nolan, the filmmaker made waves talking about Netflix to IndieWire when he flatly said, no, why would you make a film for Netflix, uh, racketed? Nolan's full comments were that Netflix has a bizarre aversion to supporting theatrical films. They have this mindless policy of everything having to be simultaneously streamed and released, which is obviously an untenable mo model for theatrical presentation art. Are you yay or nay on Nolan's Netflix aversion? I remember reading this and I was like, because I was like, dude, relax. Because again, I was coming off of the whole, this man did cardboard cutouts instead of CGI. Like he's mm -hmm. very, very, to put it bluntly, anal about old school filmmaking. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, I don't know if you've seen the interview with him and Quentin Tarantino, who is another man who's very anal about yes. that. Uh, so, like, when you're reading off of that and you're going, you know what, respect your thing. But when he gets to the point where he's like, not bashing. But going, no, that's dumb and pointless to something else, you know? Mm -hmm. That's when you start going, ah, you know, when you start kind of dissing other CGI films, it's like, Nolan, look, your way is good, but mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with this way. And the theatrical model that you like is fantastic, but you're bashing something that is giving filmmakers like Bong Joon-ho $50 million to make what they want. Making, a, uh, giving Martin Scorsese, finally! to reunite with your boy Joe mm -hmm. Pesci you know what I mean that being said he kind of has a point I have <laughs> never seen a Netflix movie that I've been like you know what Netflix I'm finally seeing you as a as a distributor for films to me Netflix is all about series mm -hmm. and even there they're kind of backing up because I just saw a couple of series trying to catch up for our what to recommend wasted my time on those um so yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of iffy there because I kind of see what he's saying. I've yet to see, and I, because I am, I am the of the belief that I think certain movies should be watched at home. Other movies need to be watched in theaters. Yeah. Okay, so let me let me try and push you over the edge here. I'm going yay on the comments. Yes, tell me because he went on to praise Amazon, saying, first of all, you can see Amazon is very oh, clearly ha what you sold me just because all the Amazon movies just came to mind, and that's a perfect model. Yeah, he was saying like. 
Amazon is happy to not make the same mistake. They have a 90-day window in which they give these movies to theaters and then they show up on the service. And that means that these theaters actually can, you know, sustain themselves on these films and the films still get out to their audiences relatively quickly. You know, th there's, there's a reason that these models are in place when you have... Uh, talk, we, we, for years, you know, film fans have been frustrated by the limited release because it's, oh, oh. it starts in the cities and then it expands. Yeah. But the reason they do that is they need to build that noise. And you look at some of the movies that Netflix has released. Have you seen War Machine? Did anybody talk about War Machine? We got a new Brad Pitt movie this year and it came and went like that because Netflix doesn't put it out in theaters. Yes. And, it, you know, if it doesn't catch on within a day or two, then no one's watching it at the same it's time. Done. Even Netflix no knows it. It ain't in the front anymore. Yeah. Nolan also mentioned that it's not that he's so much against Netflix. It's that he made a theatrical film. He is a guy who wants to see his movie in theaters. And not Netflix just doesn't care about that. I don't think it's that he thinks Netflix is disgusting. I, he just doesn't see himself as a match. So I, th I agree. Like... The, I'm glad Dunkirk was a theatrical experience for me. Some movies should be seen in a theater. I'm glad I saw Okja in a theater, even though that's a Netflix movie. Mm -hmm. it, it's just, you know, it, there are different models for different types of movies. And like you mentioned, uh, not all movies even need a theatrical release. Like, I'm glad Jake Johnson, excuse me, not Jake Johnson, Joe Swanberg, Jake Johnson <laughs> also often works with him. I'm glad Joe Swanberg seems to be working so closely with Netflix now, because he, he makes those small, intimate movies that should be watched to, on yeah, a TV. Exactly. No, you sold me, dude, 100%. All you needed to mention was Amazon, yeah. and all I thought was, oh, yeah, they have Manchester an Oscar. The <laughs> they have Manchester by the Sea. I'm thinking back to when I was at Sundance, and every movie Netflix bought, I don't care about. Big Sick is in my Big top sick? 10. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, no, you are 100% correct. I think the model plays a lot to it. It's almost like Amazon respects their movies more, and they're like, you know what? You deserve the theatrical run. As opposed to Netflix, that does kind of feel like, yes, we're going to... Because Netflix is just a machine. Do the math. Mm -hmm. Nine, $8 a month, 300 million users, they're making bill, billions, right? So they have money to make all this stuff. And it's true. Stuff just gets burned in there. I was watching Netflix yesterday. You'd all be lying. If you weren't scrolling through Netflix, you stop on War Machine and go, I should watch this. And then keep scrolling. Yeah. It's tough. Too much content on there, but that's their policy. That's their, their strategy. Yeah. With Game of Thrones' eighth and final season set to air next summer, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss are looking ahead to their next project with HBO officially on board. Confederate would chronicle an alternate history in which America is preparing for its third civil war. And slavery remains legal south of the Mason-Dixon demilitarized zone. The internet has had plenty of reactions to this development, particularly considering the hashtag problematic parts of this project. But in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, Weiss and Benioff defended themselves, saying that they've hired a diverse team to help them usher in this project. Art, do you like this choice in project from the guys who are running Game of Thrones? Heck yes. It could be a thing, because I trust HBO. It could right. be a thing. Remember, we're just like really a, a movie made out of Legos? Mm hmm And then what happened? Right. Really? This dude from 10 Things I Hate About You being the Joker? He looks like a joke. And now we have one of those, that uh, landmark performance. Even with Game of Thrones, people were like, this is not something you adapt. It's mm -hmm. not something you adapt to people who read the books. And now look what you have. That being said, if this fails... Because this, <laughs> there's still slavery. It, mm -hmm. I have not heard anything about this. So this is just how you're asking for it. Yeah. Like, like that's the thing. So if I'm Weiss and Benioff, I don't touch this. Like, uh, are why, they British? I, I don't think so. I'm pretty they're sure American. they're American. Yeah. Do they like, not have a news channel? Like, exactly. Like, you're just putting yourselves at the center of a target. So if I'm them, I go nay. But... I'm not really, I don't like to be in the business of judging things that aren't done, you know? Like, Someone? I, I, and I, I think I heard this point on the Little Gold Men pro, uh, podcast, Mike Hogan, I think, was saying it, but, like, Ryan Murphy is, like, one of the last guys I would pick to help deliver a nuanced take on the OJ trials, and he surrounded himself with the right people and made, like, one of the most interesting miniseries of last year. Yeah. 
if if this you know they've talked about some of the people they've brought in if they really do have the right people behind this and we've seen through game of thrones that they have a lot of uh filmmaking power at their disposal this could be great could also be a huge disaster and i'll criticize it then but not until i've actually seen yeah. some of what they're planning to do hey if anything there may be geniuses and they're gonna get a lot of news any any what's it what's the what's the phrase any publicity is good publicity. There you go. Uh, so for years, it's been speculated that Steven Spielberg might have actually directed the 1982 horror film Poltergeist instead of Toby Hopper. Recently on the Blumhouse, or excuse me, Blumhouse Shockwaves podcast, Annabelle director John Leonetti, who worked on Poltergeist as a camera assistant, said the following. Quote, candidly, Steven Spielberg directed that movie. There's no question. It was really more of a setup because Steven developed the movie and it was his to direct, but there was anticipation of a director's strike, so he was the producer, but really he directed it in case there was going to be a strike, and Toby was cool with that. Every once in a while, he would actually leave set and let Toby do a few things just because. Art, are you yay or nay on adding Poltergeist to the Spielberg film canon? Um, sure. Uh, does he have horror movies? I can't really think of much like, horror that he's done. I mean, if you want to, like, throw Jurassic Park in there. Yeah, some people would see Jaws, maybe Close Encounters. I've never oh, yeah, seen Jaws. him. Because I would see yeah. Poltergeist as something completely... Because those aren't really horror movies. Those are just, like, thrillers in a sense. Like they, Yeah, yeah, like, things that yeah. have scary elements. I mean, Jaws is Poltergeist kind of is a horror. Classic horror. But, yeah, Por Family Poltergeist horror. is definitely different. Uh, I, I mean... It does. It makes sense to me. I mean, he was he had that golden touch in that er, in that era. So yeah. uh, it seems to be like anything he would he's attached to uh, and would be a would yeah. be this iconic thing. Uh, it's strange to me that it's taking so long for this to seem to seemingly come out. It's not like yeah. you know Poltergeist was that long ago. I, I feel like it's weird that this is like still this talked about rumor. But I mean, this is this seems to be pretty much from the horse's mouth. I mean, maybe not the director or co-director himself but it to be a camera assistant i feel like you know who directed that movie so uh it's we're it's talking a, the the one with sam rockwell right the new one no 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 the no 2015 <laughs> yeah exactly the remake uh it's, i think this happens all the time though yeah yeah i mean that's the thing is i i do wonder how like, much we not, don't yeah. know about this stuff you, you look at even ourselves. the new star wars where tony gilroy came in and fixed it now we have uh the han solo spinoff where ron howard is coming in yeah. to fix it sometimes we hear about it sometimes that are we don't. released no i think there's a lot of things i'm i'm gonna be i'm gonna be frank right now i don't think Anne angelina jolie has ever directed a movie i refuse i don't know maybe she did I don't Maybe. think I don't she's know. directed. I think your boy, who is yet to be, yet to get his Oscar, or cinematographer. Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins is a director of Unbroken and all the other movies that, that they've worked on together. I'm, I'm willing to give my Deakins take. credit for anything. That's my hot take. I, that's what I feel is happening. Well, maybe I don't want to give him credit for Unbroken, but regardless. Yeah. Uh, a project that's been kicking around Hollywood for years is a script about the male strip club Chippendales, famously parried by SNL on Chris Farley in the 90s. Yeah. Ben Stiller has long been attached to different versions of the story, but it appears to be finally moving forward with Dev Patel cast in the opposite hey. lead role. Based on true life events, Stiller's character eventually hires a hitman to kill Patel's character. Art, yay or nay on these actors for the Chippendales murder movie? Who is the? It was Ben Stiller and Dev Patel. Yeah, I'm down for it. Dev Patel's kept busy. Mm -hmm. Like he's. It's not like he's gone away. Because you'd be like, oh, oh, oh look, oh, look at his IMDb. He's been doing stuff. He just hasn't had something as big in the mainstream as, like, the Kumar movies. Right. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm down for it. I like Ben Stiller. I don't think Ben Stiller, other than the Zoolander movies, I don't think he's completely fallen off, as some would say an Adam Sandler has, as some would say uh, the, uh, just the rest of them have, <laughs> because, like, he'll have something like Zoolander, and then he'll have that Noah Baumbach movie that came out. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, while, while we're, we're young, yeah, he's got that other one coming out. Uh, the they got Meyerowitz the standing stories? ovation. Yeah, so yeah, I'm down for it. 
Seems yeah, I mean, uh, you know, this project's been around so long that it seems almost strange that Ben Stiller at 51 is still attached to it, but I, I don't want to be, like, too ageist, and he's, I mean, it's a good-looking 51-year-old dude, so I'm not going to complain. Uh, yeah, I mean, this seems fun. Dev Patel is somebody that I kind of feel has been, like, underutilized in American comedies. I mean, uh, yeah, he's in those uh, grand mood, Marigold Budapest Hotel whatever movies, uh -huh. exotic, um, but... It, those are, he's kind of played off as like the, you know, joke Indian uh, cameo, whatever. Uh, and he's, but he's got like a solid comedic timing and a fun, warm presence. I, I would love to see him in more, something that is a little more Ben Stiller's speed. I could definitely see this being like classic Farrelly Brothers type of uh, situational, you know, get yourself in over your head type of thing for Ben Stiller. Uh, so hopefully it works out. I'm interested to see what, what yeah. this ends up as. I'm here for it. All right, so we got very little time left. We'll get to the rough cuts really quickly. First of all, John Watts is returning to direct the Homecoming sequel set for a 2019 summer release. Art, yay or nay? I'm pretty sure I know where you're going on this one. Yeah, I'm yay. First one was good. You and I both said it. It was a good setup. So if you're going to make the next one better, best to have someone who already knows the cast. I agree. Yay. I think this is a franchise that has the potential to get better from the first one, not get worse. I like that, that they're going to keep the same guy around for it. Darren Aronofsky's next, next film might be a courtroom drama about artificial intelligence. Although Aronofsky cleared the air on Twitter by saying he hasn't committed to anything. Art, yay or nay on this rumored project. Yes, that sounds dope. First of all, the story's dope. Darren Aronofsky on there, that's going to be jacked up now. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you want something that's a little bit futuristic, a little bit ahead, and a little bit probably puts you off on edge, Darren Aronofsky is probably one of the first people you call. So this sounds yes. like a perfect marriage. Uh, Stars is developing an untitled scripted series set in the 1980s New York City based on Mariah Carey's Rise to Stardom. Art, yay no. or nay? Uh, I'm not, I don't, I can't think of a lot of star shows that I watch and I can care less about Mariah Carey, especially because she's alive right now and mm -hmm. Mariah Carey feels like a person who's just going to overshadow that thing. Now, if Nick Cannon was producing it, then I'd be yay, nay. Yeah, uh, we have Empire, we have Star, DuVernay's show, we have uh, Nashville. There's a lot of shows about like aspiring singer-songwriters, and I don't watch any of them. So yeah. uh, I'm not going to watch this one just because it's based on somebody that I don't really care for. Yeah. The Disaster Artist trailer debuted and Oof. only shows audiences clips from one scene of James Drenko's art upcoming comedy. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you your thoughts on the trailer because I know you probably haven't watched it being that your policy, but Art, yay or nay on movie trailers that only show one scene from a film? You know me. Now, I did not see this, but I heard it over on a podcast and I heard it was just, uh, I did not hit it. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark, which is the yeah. poster too, which is fantastic because you, you can't help but read it in his voice. Yeah. Um, you know me. I'm all about that. I'm all about that one single trailer. So yeah, I'm, I'm not going to list examples. But, I don't know, search them up. That Those are my favorite. Exactly. Look, at, the, at this point, you know, people talk about all the time, like, comedies put too many of the best parts in the trailer. This, at worst, you're going to have two minutes of the movie ruined for you. The rest is fresh. So I am all for movie, uh, particularly comedies. Comedies. want to ruin as little as possible. Yes. Uh, but I'll also point out that Atomic Blonde trailer, that's basically just one long fight scene. Like, that's is awesome. Is it really? Oh, okay. well, there's a newer one that shows a All lot right. more of the movie, but I think it was like I, the first teaser that no, was... Good point. I know it's rough because real quick, with comedies, I think you're, you're exactly right because trailers are just a mashup of, of a bunch of things. Jokes are one-liners, so yeah. you can fit more. You know what I mean? Like punches, like, or you're not ruining punches, but if you're slipping in every single joke, you've already... It's so much easier to ruin all the punchlines of a movie, and you're right, it ruins comedies for the most part. Our last one, Ron Howard shared some images from the Star Wars set, including a look at some of the wardrobe and pictures of Donald Glover as young Lando. Does Ron Howard's glimpses into production give you any more faith in the outcome of this movie, yay or nay? Uh, yeah, I've said this. I don't like what happened, but if we're, we we got to live with it. Ain't nobody listening to us and going to change it back. I mean, for it because we said this, if, if there's one person you can trust, there's one person who, who, who will be committed to it, Ron Howard. Hope it's not boring. I like Ron Howard. Uh, I have faith that it's, it's going to work out to be what it needs to be, just not what I thought it was going to be. All right, so we move on to our topic of the week, and this week, in honor of Dunkirk, we are counting down our top five. Christopher Nolan movies. He's reached 10 movies now, so it seems like the yeah. perfect time to uh, check in halfway <laughs> so point. What, what half do you like more? This half exactly. or that half? We're, we're, we're picking nothing but the best Chris Nolan stuff here. Uh, so I've got my five, you've got your five. Mm -hmm. You want to go first or should I? Uh, 
I'll go first. As a true Nolan fanboy, you do know that your your top five Nolan films have to be the last five Nolan films. And whenever a Nolan film comes out, you just get rid of the oldest one and it's whatever is most recent is that's, best. Exactly, that's how it works, right? Nah, for real. Um, here are my top five. Going in order. Uh, maybe you won't agree. Should we do the disclaimer, the redundant disclaimer that you need to say? Yeah, I mean it is the internet. It is the internet. These are our list. If you have your list, that's good. This is our list. Number five for me is Inception. No, Interstellar is not on this list. The only iMovie that I have on here is this one. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Inception, mainly because of all the hype that came around it. And it's difficult having discussions with, without people going like, oh, it's so confusing. Uh, what, what dream are they in? Boy, one's in the snow, one's in a van, one's in a hallway. It would stop. It's, it's simple. I do like all the underlying subliminal stuff to it the whole did they force Cobb to get into limbo so he can finally appreciate his family the whole parallels to filmmaking and into it just the visuals to it uh and we know the lasting impact that it had because <laughs> it's still being used to this day the oh it's it's a something and something it's the whatever inception it's inception in the woods it's inception as a horror all these things to be incepted is a verb to be, I mean, not a lot of movie titles become verbs boy i to make a movie you know what i mean and for it to be used in regular day speech that's awesome so yeah like inception. that and catfish <laughs> that and what catfish exactly uh i think that's when you've made it you know which first of all he's made it before this but i like that shows you the everlasting impact that a movie like inception will have uh for me number four and sometimes i switch these out number four and three get switched out a lot because yes the trilogy it's i i don't know i want to say it's one of the best trilogies but the third one i've been very vocal about disappointed broke my heart since then i haven't been able to love but i i'm always conflicted between number three and four and which is better number four for me is batman begins and honestly go rewatch that if you haven't binge do your marathon batman begins is dope the underlying theme of fear fear between i saw a fantastic video i wish i, mm -hmm. I remember maybe i'll send you a link to it so you can post it uh on this video as a little link thing the idea of how all the characters in the movie conflict with each other just on their stance of fear is fantastic. Bruce Wayne uses fear to become a better person to defeat crime. But Scarecrow uses fear to scare criminals for his own gain. Ra's al Ghul uses fear to diminish the weak, whereas Falcone, I think it's Falcone, uh, uses fear, the mob boss, whoever was the mob boss yeah. in that movie, uses fear to scare the people of Gotham City so he can have power and they each one just off of fear are able to clash with each other because yeah. there's one thing that they do not like about each other it is a fantastic origin story yes my boy did steal it from Doctor Strange but it's it, it's such a good movie it really is yeah, and you, you mentioned it's an origin story, but I think it even stands out amongst all the origin stories we get as just a one that's really still different feeling in the way it that really it kind is. of distances it, itself from a lot of the iconography and the names and stuff. It's, it, it, it does that thing of placing Batman in the real world that people give Nolan a lot of credit for. Yeah, because that's where it spiraled off. Also, it was meant to be a standalone, and I think that's a, pr a perfect way to put it. Origin stories just feel like that was the setup. Can't wait till the real film. For the sequel this yeah. felt like this is the movie and then we were treated to what is my number three the dark knight uh i'm not gonna explain yeah uh, the only the thing i guess yeah you. i guess the only thing i could say is we have those group of people who keep going it's underrated it doesn't mash uh, i once had a, an argument with my teacher who who refused to see it as a movie i and i felt she was blinded on the fact that it was a superhero movie Mm. And she would say, he's like, it's just so jumbled up. All the storylines make no sense. And her two arguments I really got into was, one, it was too long. And the Harvey Dent scene, or the whole Harvey Dent sequence, the whole Harvey Dent timeline at the end made no sense. And it came mm. out of nowhere. You either live long enough to become uh, to become the villain, or you either die here or live long enough to become the villain. That's in the first act of the movie. So when someone tells me that it comes out of nowhere... Play Kendrick Lamar humble. Uh, the other one is, the argument was, it's so convoluted, there's so many things going on. Who's the main character? The movie's called The Dark Knight, Be Quiet. Um, for those of you who don't like it, sure. We were talking earlier. 
masterpieces to you are masterpieces to you. If someone else doesn't like it, don't waste your time with them. Yeah. You just said something was your masterpiece. Spend those two hours and 40 minutes watching that masterpiece. That's the Dark Knight number three for me. Number two. Uh, again, these are my top two favorite Nolan films. Uh, the only reason this is at number two is because number one is... is I've told you about this week in my sophomore year of high school. I had yeah. a week my sophomore year of high school where I just abused Blockbuster and the past that they had and just watched a bunch of movies. And honestly, that week is the reason why I am obsessed with movies. Both of these were on there. This one just so happened to be the one that I saw second. And I say like the tail end of the week. Prestige is a fantastic film. Oh, the yeah. Prestige is beautiful in its visuals. It's beautiful in its storytelling in the way that it just tells you I'm going to manipulate you with this movie. Are you ready? Yes. You're the little kid that Michael Caine is telling, you know, the setup to the prestige to. Um, I still watch it and go and pick up on things, which is what a good movie is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I still watch it and, and wish that uh, we had that uh, Thomas Edison versus Tesla movie, but David Bowie ain't here to play Tesla. Yeah. First of all, David Bowie plays Tesla in this movie. Yeah, and that, that should be enough for you. <laughs> first, yeah, it should be enough just because, you know, it's David Bowie playing him. But on top of that, it doesn't take you out of the movie, mm-hmm. which is so weird because David Bowie is so eccentric. And I'm one who complained about the Game of Thrones Ed Sheeran thing. That's how natural this felt. Um, it's a beautiful movie. I love the way that you could still watch it again and still be surprised by it and caught off guard. Uh, but it sits at number two. Uh, Prestige, being one of my favorite movies of all time, still sits at number two because Memento changed, honestly, the way that I saw movies. It's weird because it's one of those movies where you have that movie that's so revolutionary and all the film school kids talk about it or whatever and it gets to a point where you're just like, okay, yeah, that's cool. We've, we've done that to death. No one's done it. Pulp Fiction and the, the dialogue has been tried to death by other people who have tried to be Pulp Fiction. No one has come close to what Memento has done, even yeah. Nolan when he's tried, to doing what he did with that narrative. To this day, we've talked about this. Yes, it takes place in the early 2000s, late 90s. But if you were to see it now, it feels like a fresh movie. He can repackage that you know, and send it into theaters and be like, yo, this feels like a brand new revolutionary concept that when people are doing interviews, they go like, this is the original movie I've been waiting for. Yeah, I mean, that it, it's a completely original idea that it's such a high wire act. I don't know how anyone could ever try to copy or imitate or... You can't. Anything is a second place version Dude. to this in terms of the non-linear construction. Bro, 15-year-old 15 15 year me sitting down and watching that, I was just like, you can do this? Right. No, I remember, go, I remember literally vocally saying, you're allowed to tell a movie in reverse? That's a thing? I did it. I thought, I mean, oh my it's, goodness. It's mind-blowing the first time that you get to experience it. It really, like, it just teaches you a whole new way of approaching story. Exactly. And to me, that's when I said, what else is possible? Right. And because Memento opened my mind to the idea of what else is possible with movie making, it will probably forever sit as my number one. That's a very solid list. Uh, there's not a whole lot I disagree with. <laughs> Rearrange them. Uh, I will rearrange them only slightly. My number five, it's the one we just talked about. I'm going to put Dunkirk there. I may, it might be some recency bias. There okay. might be some of that there. But like I said, there's a lot of things in the movie that I found to be particularly uh, moving or, or well executed. And, and, and there's some novelty there to me uh, that it really is is kind of a movie that stands out for me, uh, especially as someone who doesn't love war movies much. I found myself really into this one. Uh, number four, I'm going with The Dark Knight. It's my favorite of all those Batman movies. Okay. Uh, Batman Begins is, is just off my list. Uh, for me, The Dark Knight, it's two-thirds of a nearly perfect movie with a coda tale 45 minutes that's It is, fine, it is jumbled. fine. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to, you know, I, there's some people who are like, oh, it's the worst, or whatever. I think it's just not up to the level of the first part, which is so, my, is so, so That's above and beyond something. what we get. That's uh, yeah, exactly. Something. You know, and I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any shame in, in having half of your movie be, like, perfect and the other half not uh-huh. as perfect, you know. Uh, number three, for me, 
I'm going Inception, and this is one that I'm honestly surprised I have so far up my list. When I was assembling my list, I, I kept looking over some of the other ones and was like, can I put, can I Following slide Batman Inception. Begins? <laughs> uh, but like with Inception, you know, you mentioned that the influence in terms of its score and stuff, there's a lot of that, but it, similarly to Memento, I don't think we've gotten uh, many people able to copy this sort of idea of worlds folding into each other, they even tried. visually. The way that the the movie looks with streets coming up and stuff is still so unique. In, in you know, we we have this slew of high budget CGI movies, and there's a sameness to a lot of them. Particularly, the uh, Marvel movies have a, a very similar CGI look, but there's no movie that has looked like Inception before or since. Uh, and I think, you know. There was a lot of fanboy love for the movie when it first came out that kind of yeah. made it hard to embrace as fully as I once did. But now that it, we've had some distance from it, I just, there's so much that's memorable, memorable from that movie. Like you mentioned, we got a whole new verb out of it. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's just a very unique movie. And I think probably the best use of uh, Nolan's aesthetic in a high budget package. Definitely. And Avatar came out that year. It did. Uh, this was better. Yeah, totally, totally. Visually. In my opinion, uh, at least two. It, yours as well, obviously. Uh, my number two, it's the same as yours. It's The Prestige. I mean, this is a movie that I find to be vastly underrated in the uh, right. Nolan uh, spectrum just because it seems to come at this weird point right before he got a lot of a, uh, attention and acclaim for Batman stuff, but like... After Memento was his indie darling, it's that weird middle child. Yeah. Uh, but it, there's so much interesting here. It also plays with some nonlinear aspects, and you got really my favorite Hugh Jackman performance and a great Christian Bale performance in this too. Uh, you talked about the way that he's talking to the audience, like he's talking to the little kid. Nolan is a guy who who does some meta aspects to his movies. There's some of that in Inception, and there's some of that in Stellar. Yeah. This, for me, is where it works the best, because he's really, he's telling you the construction. He is giving you the tools to try and piece this together, and then he executes it right in front, he executes a crazy twist yeah. right in front of you without you uh, necessarily following so along. Crazy. So I, he tells you. <laughs> Not to mention, it's all—it's a beautifully designed movie. Uh, the production design of this movie, I think, is really, really cool in a way that not all of his films uh, are, because they—they almost the the smaller scope gives it an intimacy, like the yeah. the busyness of that workshop, Michael Caine's workshop, is is maybe one of the coolest rooms that Nolan's ever shot in. Because um, uh, The Illusionist came out during the same year, and I just hold that one close to my heart because Jessica Biel's in it, and she's yeah. attractive. Uh, but that's a perfect example of the big difference between... It's not just the storytelling, but production design is a huge difference between the two, and why Nolan's stands out a lot more than this place. Illusionist that felt a lot more like sets. Yeah, absolutely. But for me, I have to go with Memento at my number one. I have to go to the same movie as you. I mean, like, look, this is just a completely unique experience. I wrote, it, it, talking about watching it in high school, I watched it in high school, ended up writing, like, a 14-page paper in my senior year of just, like, for extra credit and stuff. Like, this, this, there's so much that's interesting about this movie. The way that it's constructed sort of forces you to put things in place in a way that engages your brain, uh, forces you to engage your brain in a way that a lot of movies necessarily don't necessarily do. Mm -hmm. It's there's so many iconic images and moments. It it has a slew of comic relief and the pacing is great. I mean, it's just such a well constructed movie. There's so many interesting aspects to it. Uh, it, it like you, it just taught me to think about movies in a different way. I really really appreciate that, and I just don't think anybody has done something that marriage that, that marries structure to content better. Yeah. There's a reason for that nonlinear nature to this movie and that's the short-term memory loss uh, that the main character has. A and you get to both be in his shoes and follow the path of the movie because of that outside-in construction genius. he gives you. It's, it's brilliant, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. I love Memento. You obviously love Memento. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it, honestly, we're jealous. Yeah, uh, like, I'm not. I'm not yeah. I, I mean, I bet you there are those Nellan fanboys out there who haven't even seen it. And to me, that is that's a crime that's, to to yeah. advocate for the guy without seeing yeah. his best movie, which is just so I'm unique. Not, I'm not even gonna be mad and say anything. I'm just gonna be like, you know what? Just watch it. 
because <laughs> you still the best is yet to come. All right, so that is it for our top five. We quickly head to the new to see because in theaters this weekend we get The Dark Tower, Detroit, in movies your teenage cousin is probably pumped about, Midnight mm. Sun, Step, and in limited release, Wind River. Art, I know you saw Wind River. Woo, you just gave me what to talk about. <laughs> uh, any of these movies you excited for this weekend? Wind River. And I've already seen this. This is my number two movie of the year. Uh, definitely check it out. I've said this. One of the best standoff. Uh, one of the best standoffs since Reservoir Dog. Interesting. Yeah, so uh, this is directed by Taylor Sheridan, who wrote the scripts for Sicario. Thank and, you. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, Hell or High Water? Yes, uh, but this is his directorial debut with Elizabeth Olsen, Jeremy Renner, and John Berthel. That's one that I'm definitely excited to check out. I also want to see uh, Detroit. I don't think it's going to be amazing, but it's yeah. Catherine Bigelow's, Bigelow's first movie in, I, I want to say, five years. So. Here's, here's, who does her posters? Those are very underrated posters. I love Zero Dark Thirties poster. I just never knew I did. Yeah. So when I saw Detroit, I was just like, Bigelow. You know what? She does really good posters. Yeah, definitely. Uh, new to streaming on Netflix in July 25th, we get Joe Mandy's award-winning comedy special. You might recognize him from being a writer and bit player on Parks and Recreation or from his frequently funny Twitter. I've never seen him perform stand-up, but I'm probably going to check that one out. Okay. And then on July 28th, The Incredible Jessica James. No, this is not a new season of a Marvel Netflix TV show. This is an indie comedy about dating starring Jessica Williams from The Daily Show, yeah. formerly of The Daily Show. Yeah. Art, this had its premiere at Sundance this year. Did you see it or? No, I missed it. I too, it's funny you say that. I did think it was some like superhero stuff because Netflix had already bought it by the time that I, I came to see it. I was just like, what the heck? Uh, yeah. No, I didn't get to see it, but you know, it's on Netflix, so. Might as well check it out. I like her a lot. I've just yeah. never really seen her in a leading role like that. And then on July 31st, not a new movie, but Dark Knight came out a couple years ago. This is not Dark Knight like Nolan Dark Knight. This is Dark Knight like Day and Night. Uh, this spoiler alert is a fictionalized version of the Aurora Megaplex shootings. Uh, I have read mixed reviews, but I'm just really curious to see how it handles that subject matter. Have you seen the trailer to this thing? No, I didn't want to. Watch the trailer to this thing. You're yep. gonna wanna watch the movie. I was like, what the heck is this? It looks July like- 31st. It looks like, is this going on Netflix? Yeah. I have not been able to find the movie. Well, there you go. Yo, just watch the trailer. And this is someone who tells you not to see trailers, but watch this trailer. It's insane. Uh, on Amazon on July 28th, Chef the Jean Favreau. Did I just say Jean Favreau? The <laughs> Jean Favreau movie. He's, he's French. Because he's, yeah, because he's a chef, you know. He's a um, chef. Uh, that, it's a pleasant movie. I think it's like if you don't have anything better to do on a Saturday, Sunday yeah. afternoon, totally worth your time, will make you hungry. And then both on Hulu and Amazon on July 31st, the uh, horror film Jeepers Creepers. I've never seen it. Classic. I, I am a Jeepers Creepers fanboy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, HBO Go, a couple days ago, uh, July 22nd, they added Hacksaw Ridge, which we talked about earlier in the show. Uh -huh. I, I thought it was pretty good, not my favorite. And then July 29th, they will be adding Almost Christmas with Danny Glover, Gabrielle Union, and others. Was this a movie that you saw back when you were seeing like every new release, or Almost you miss it? Almost Christmas? I don't know. I've Family never even comedy. heard of this, I guess. Don't. Didn't seem too special. Didn't get great reviews. So we are up to our picks for the week. Art, what do you recommend people see in theaters this weekend? Look, I know we've recommended this before. Go see Nolan movies. Um, other than that, uh, see Dunkirk and IMAX if you can. I wanted to give you guys a Netflix recommendation. I did the work because I feel bad that I'm always just giving you theater releases and some of you can't make it out to the theater. So I was like, you know what? Let me go binge some stuff on Netflix. I binged the show called Gypsy because my girl's mm. in it. Yeah, what? I love Naomi Watts, but that one's been getting some pretty poor reviews. Pointless. Yeah. We always talk about, like, there's no reason. that That is an hour and a half condensed thing at best. Mm. There's some plot there, though, so if you want to just go to Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with something that's on HBO Go. Uh, it's not something that I think we've talked about yet on the show, but it's a... A really fun way to spend, I think, a 40-minute special. It's Tour de Pharmacy. This is the Ooh, new okay, Andy okay. Samberg sports spoof. Uh, it's 
sort of a, a, not a sequel exactly, but similar to Seven Days in Hell, which she did last year. Instead of being about tennis, this one is about cycling, cycling. and is largely about uh, steroid use in cycling. This one has a pretty fun construction in that it's sort of a mockumentary about a Tour de France that took place in the 80s. So there's archival footage and where you get Andy Samberg as this cocky South African son of a diamond miner. Uh, and then so you get dumb. Uh, you get David Diggs as uh, the oh, nephew. He's in it. He's not only is he in it, he plays the nephew of Jackie Robinson trying to integrate the world of cycling. So, uh, but so you get these guys, but then you also get talking head interviews uh, with older versions of them, played by Jeff Goldblum and Danny Glover. You also have uh, John Cena is played by Dolph Lundgren. The way they do that casting is is hilarious. Uh, there's a great cameo that, if you've seen the trailers, it's already been spoiled for you, but I won't say it here. Look, it's it's slight, and it's really silly, it's really absurd, but if you like Andy Samberg, or if you liked Seven Days in Hell, this is a very fun way to spend 40 minutes. It's it's just long enough to feel worth it, and just short enough to not overstay its welcome. All right, that sounds pretty dope. I didn't know it was that short, but for 40 minutes I'll watch it. I know it popped up on RogerEber.com. Uh, oh, yeah? They, they gave it like four Maybe five. Oh, wow. so. I mean, look, it's it's just. I think a problem with a lot of comedies is that they just go too far. They they give you all the funny stuff, and then they're yeah. like, "Oh, we gotta gotta give drag you like, it a heart and drag." Yeah, it that heart. Forty minutes is is perfect. You know, they put all their funniest stuff in there. They skip over the dumb stuff. If there's a joke you don't like, wait two seconds. There'll be more there. I think these are really. This is a really great form for Sandberg. I, I'd love if he did one of these annually, and he gets really great talent involved. I mean, yeah. Orlando Jones is. Excuse me, Orlando Bloom is in this. Uh, Freddie Highmore, uh, Will Forte has an amazing one scene cameo. Uh, oh, Nathan Fielder, dude, Nathan Fielder is hysterical in this. Uh, check so, it out. Yeah, check it out. But that's all for this week's show. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, at Zshevich, or on Instagram, also at Zshevich. And check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash multiplexshow. Art, where can people find more from you? Follow me at the A to Z Show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Got videos coming up, as always. And you can always find me here on the Intercut, because... You can listen to us and watch us on YouTube as well as SoundCloud. I think we're still working on the iTunes thing. iTunes is just yes. a pain, pain in the butt. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, definitely catch us on uh, the episodes that were coming up. Now that summer's kind of sizzling down, I'm, I'm becoming a little less busy. We're going to try to uh, get these into gear. But for those of you who are listening, you guys are the best ones. You guys are the MVPs. You guys <laughs> yeah. are the intercutters. I don't know if we're going to have a – what name? Maybe yeah, not we intercutters. we got to come up That's with some kind of, like, fan name. Yeah, for, but, uh, I don't know. Yeah, thank you guys uh, for watching. We appreciate it so much as we get things into gear and uh, get our weekly schedule sorted out and stuff because uh, there's just a lot going on and making sure that all the technical stuff is sorted out. But yeah. we do want to be giving you these weekly episodes and uh, some little stuff in between too. We'll probably come at you with a new Game of Thrones update uh, a week from now or something like that. Yeah, some reasons. smaller ones to keep you guys up to date in between the bigger episodes. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but you can listen to all of our episodes here on YouTube or hopefully soon iTunes. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can find new episodes every week. And also like our Facebook and Twitter pages and our Instagram at IntercutPod for updates throughout the week. Please share and subscribe to our show. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, I'll see you off of Dunkirk. <laughs> I didn't have a quote. <laughs>